Morning. <clears throat> Welcome to Westbridge. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it is awesome to be here. I want to say hello to everybody joining us online. Thanks for joining us there as well. And uh, I got to tell you, this is a, a bit of an emotional morning for me. Uh, for those of you that weren't aware, last Saturday, uh, let me just indulge for just a minute. Uh, we were at dinner with some friends and um, my buddy Dave, who spoke here last weekend, uh, we were at dinner with them and uh, a very surreal moment, got a call from my daughter's friend who's 14 years old, her friend's mom, and uh, was told that uh, they were in an accident. And my first thought, honestly, was <clears throat> that it was kind of a, a fender bender and that she was just telling us <laughs> where to come pick her up. And then about five minutes later, I got another call from her mom, only it wasn't her mom on the other end of the line, it was a police officer. And he had said that um, she was in critical condition, a helicopter was landing, and she was being airlifted to a hospital, and they did not know which hospital she was going to. And at the exact same time, a server who has no idea what's going on is going, who's, who's got the salmon? And it was so weird. And I was so numb and just, we were processing that. And, uh, and so we just stood up and our friends said, we got it, go to the car. And my wife and I went to our car and we started just driving towards the cities. We had no idea what hospital she was at. We didn't know if she was going to live. And uh, I just want to say thanks. Because this church family stepped up in such a huge way, supported us and prayed for us, and cared for us, and loved us in ways uh, just, we felt it. We got to the ICU, got to HCMC, uh, she was on a breathing tube, and sedated, and they were checking for brain injuries, and um, just incredible. Uh, we spent two days in the ICU. Her and her friend Lily were planning on having a sleepover that night. They were not planning to have a sleepover in the ICU, but that is what happened. Her friend was transferred over to HCMC. They were in ICU rooms right next to each other, one wall separating them. And, um, and Chloe's gonna be okay. Yeah, she's gonna be okay. And Lily's gonna be okay. Lily's brother Charlie is gonna be okay. Everyone is walking away from this. And uh, I just wanna say thank you. Um, and I just wanna process for just a minute, and then we're gonna jump into the talk, and I promise I don't wanna indulge in this too much, but. I just want you to hear me say, number one, thank you. And then number two, I'm fully aware that this could have gone the other direction. And as I was driving down to Minneapolis, uh, I was just processing what our family would look like without her. And it's just going through your mind as a parent and at the same time, it's really important for me to mentally process that if that were to happen, if the worst case scenario were true, that, uh, that God is still good. And that I still trust him. And that he... He doesn't change because bad things happen and that following Jesus is not uh, an inoculation against bad things happening in this world and that she belonged to him before she ever belonged to us. 
And I know, I feel like it's important to say that because I know that there are some of you who have gone through horrible losses and it didn't turn out the way this turned out. And I'm grateful, I'm so thankful that we have her and Lily and Charlie and that everybody's okay and everybody's home. <laughs> and in such a weird twist, they found her phone on the side of the road yesterday and it works perfectly. <laughs> How? That should be an Apple commercial. Because it was laying in a field for seven days and they brought it back and plugged it in and it just turned on and she has all, all her friends and text messages. And, but I'm fully aware that there are so many of you who have gone through such incredible loss. And um, it doesn't always turn out miraculous. But I would not do what I do and, and <laughs> live the way that I live if I didn't fully believe that God is still good and that God can still be trusted. And I just want to say thanks. Thanks for your prayers and thanks for your love and thanks for your support and thanks for your food. Good Lord. <laughs> I've been working hard to take some weight off over the last year and it seems like you all are committed to having me put it back on. So I appreciate that your love is felt by our whole family and thank you so much. So now we're going to start a new series today. <clears throat> we're going to try to get through it. And every year we do this. <clears throat> and every year we take a few weeks and we talk about where we're heading as a church. We center around the vision of the church. And every year we do this and we, we sort of head into this last sort of few weeks of summer. And uh, we spend some time talking about where are we going as a church? And what does it look like for us? And I'm just, uh, man, it's been such a weird 18 months. <laughs> Right? It's been a weird 18 months for everybody. And never have we needed this more than we need this right now. For everybody who's participating with us online, for everybody here in the room, for everybody who will watch this later on uh, sometime this week, this is so critical for us that we make sure that we're all rowing in the same direction because over time what happens is the mission starts to drift. And it's just normal. It's human nature. It's, it's the way organizations work. It's the way churches work. It's the way families work. It's the way individuals work. That over time, the thing that we were pointed towards, the thing that we were aiming at over time, we drift. We just get a little bit off course. And not majorly, not to the point where you're like, man, I don't even recognize us anymore. But slowly, just a little bit, one degree, one half degree, we drift, we drift, we drift. And that's why we do this every single year, because we want to get back uh, to the idea of this vision. We want to be clear on what we're doing and why we're doing it and make sure we're all rowing in the same direction. And in fact, when it comes to this idea of vision, anyone who teaches on like how to cast a compelling vision, how to make sure that people know what we're doing, they'll say you need to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it until people are absolutely sick of hearing it. And when they're absolutely sick of hearing it, you've just started repeating it. And so that's where we're at. So here it is. The thing we've been saying for the last 15 years, here's why we exist as a church. Westbridge Church exists to be people helping people find and follow Jesus. You could probably say that along with me if you've been coming here for any period of time. We exist to be people who are helping people find and follow Jesus. And it isn't super complicated. It isn't super glamorous. It isn't super creative. It's just the mission that Jesus gave to the church. 
It's the mission Jesus gave to every single one of us who say, I'm a follower of yours. What are the marching orders? Jesus says, this is what it is to follow me, to be a part of the mission that I've given the church. In fact, he puts it in these words, and these are the words that he gave his followers before he left them. He says this, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. So go and make followers of all people in the world. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have told you to do, and you can be sure that I will be with you always. I will continue with you until the end of time. And the reason, <clears throat> the reason that we do this every year is because every year, over time, we experience drift. It doesn't happen all at once. It doesn't happen suddenly. It happens very slowly over time. And the reason it's so dangerous is not because of how it will affect us six months from now. It's because how it will affect us a year from now and two years from now and three years from now if every single year we don't con consistently just go, let's stay out the course. Let's make sure that the reason that we started this thing continues to be the reason that we function. Let's make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. Let's make sure that we understand why we're doing what we're doing. Because the longer that you experience drift, the more it will affect you. That's why I love this verse from the Proverbs where Solomon writes this, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. And as a church, it's easy to get sidetracked. There's a lot of good things that are vying for our attention. There's a lot of good things that are saying we should do this and we should get involved in that and we should make statements about this and there's all these things, but our job is to stay focused, stay on the path. Don't get sidetracked. Don't wander to the left and the right. Keep the main thing the main thing. Be a place, be a group of people who are helping other people find and follow Jesus. That's the goal, that's the mission. Don't get sidetracked. Don't lose sight of where you're headed. We're gonna help people find and follow Jesus, one life at a time, one story at a time, one invitation at a time. And so we're calling this series Foundations because through the next several weeks, we're gonna go look at the values that drive this mission forward, the values that build, that we're building this mission on. And we really believe over the next few weeks, if every single person who calls Westbridge their church home would embrace these five values over the next five weeks today and four more Sundays, if every person who calls Westbridge their church home would embrace these five values, then I really believe we could continue to make an incredible difference and it will help us to stay on mission. And the first value that we're going to talk about is grace. And the reason that grace is so critical to talk about first is because grace gets everything started. It, it's amazing that while Jesus showed up as a religious leader, he never actually gravitated toward religious people. When you read the stories of Jesus, when you read uh, his message, when you read the way that he interacted with people, even though he came from God, he didn't really uh, pursue those who thought themselves to be godly. And the group that was most uncomfortable with the temple in Jesus' day and the group that was the most uncomfortable with temple worship seemed to be the group that Jesus pursued. It seemed to be the group that he had the most relationship with. It seems that everywhere Jesus went, he drew a crowd, and that the people who were most unlike Jesus liked Jesus the most. It's fascinating, and the challenge in that, for me personally, and the challenge in that for us as a church, is that we are the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet in the world. And so while people don't always understand Jesus or always believe everything that he taught, they should always always experience the grace of Jesus. 
They should be drawn to his grace. And so our goal is that when people walk into Westbridge, even if they disagree, even if they don't believe, even if they're exploring, even whatever their background, whatever their uh, belief system, wherever it is that they're coming from, that they would walk in and that they wouldn't resist, that they would go, you know what? I don't know if I'm a Jesus person. I don't think I agree with everything they teach. I don't think I believe everything they believe, but there was so much grace in that place. I want to go back. Those people just accepted me as is. Those people loved me as is. That is, the, that is the finest, nicest group of people I've ever been around. Because that is the grace of Jesus. See, people were drawn to Jesus because he used different labels. He used different labels. And to help us understand the grace of Jesus, we're going to look at some stories. And these are stories that many of you are familiar with. These are stories that we've talked about before. Uh, but it's crucial that we never shift from imitating Jesus in this posture, this posture of grace. These stories start in Luke chapter 15. And it starts with Luke giving a descriptor. And Luke himself is using some labels to describe some of the people who are there. He says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so here you have the Pharisees, and these are the religious people. These are the people who are supposed to be the closest to God. These are the, the most religious people, and they're supposed to represent God to the people. And you can see why these people are pretty easy to resist, they look at people who are, they look at as unclean, they look at them as sinners, and they're complaining that Jesus is hanging out with them and not giving them the attention. They're, you're hanging out with sinners, but you're not hanging out with us. We're the godly people. We're the religious people. How come you're not hanging out with us, Jesus? And what's fascinating is we all use labels from time to time to describe different people. Uh, maybe, oh, those are the educated people, or the affluent people, or the athletic people, or the obnoxious people, or maybe sometimes you're like, those are just not my people, <laughs> you know? And one of the things that was unique about Jesus is the way that he used labels to describe different groups of people. Even in these verses, Luke is using different labels to describe the different groups. He says there's these, there's these tax collectors, there's other notorious sinners, then he describes the Pharisees, then he describes teachers of religious law. And he says there's these different groups, and the religious leaders are complaining because the labels that they have become so familiar with are clean and unclean. Sinner not a sinner. Okay in God's eyes, not okay in God's eyes. These are the labels that they have become accustomed to. And they're going, Jesus, you claim to wear this label as someone who is from God, and yet you hang out with people who we would label as ungodly. What's going on? This doesn't, this doesn't make sense to us. And Jesus recognized that both the sinners and the religious really viewed others and themselves through this same set of labels, right? Good versus bad, clean versus unclean, sinner versus religious. And so Jesus decided to teach all of them at the same time the labels that his heavenly father uses to describe people. And so he told them three stories, two about lost things and one about a runaway son. And these are some of the most popular stories in all of the scriptures. And so chances are you might have heard some of these before. So we're going to read through these together quickly. So Jesus, it says in uh, verse 3, so Jesus told them this story. This is in response to this attitude. The Pharisees are complaining. The religious leaders are complaining. And so he tells them this story uh, in response to this complaining. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? 
And all the shepherds in the crowd are nodding. They're like, yeah, that's exactly what we would do. I mean, if we had 100 sheep and one of them was lost, we'd keep the 99 safe. They're safe. They're in the pen. Uh, and, and, and we'd go and we'd find, the, we'd find the one that's lost. And Jesus says, and when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And Jesus has just made a very important point that when you lose something, you search for what is lost, even to the neglect of what is found. When something is missing, the situation demands that you put all of your attention and all of your focus and all of your energy on the thing that is missing, not on the thing that is found. And then Jesus says, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And the Pharisees are hearing this. They're going, wait a minute. Are you saying, Jesus, are you actually saying that he is more important than me, that she is more important than me? And before anybody can actually bring up the question or vocalize anything, Jesus launches into a second story. And he says this, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And the point that Jesus is making is that when something of great value is lost, you go to great lengths to find it. When something of great value is missing, you go to great lengths to find it. And they all agree. So then Jesus launches into a third, final, and very powerful story. And in doing so, he causes a huge shift in their thinking. And they all agree that when something of great value is lost, you go to great lengths to find it. And so now he wants to tell them what is of greatest value to his heavenly father. And you can read the story in Luke chapter 15. I'd encourage you to read this story this week. I'm going to summarize it for you. He says, a father has two sons. And the younger son comes to him at one point and says, Father, give me my share of the inheritance, which would have been unheard of. This is, this is not something you would do in this society. He says, just give me my share of the inheritance. In other words, uh, <clears throat> let's just acknowledge that our relationship is dead. Let's acknowledge that this, this relationship is not what we want it to be. So just give me my share of the inheritance. Let me go live my life, and I'll be on my way. And sh- to, to the, uh, the shock of Jesus' audience, the father agrees. And he gives his son his inheritance. The son goes off, and he spends it on wild living, and he burns through his whole fortune very quickly. And now he's out of money, and where he's living, the land where he is, experiences a great famine. Now he's hungry, he's starving, he's broke, he's homeless. And he's sitting in a pig trough feeding the pigs, which again, worst case scenario for anyone who is first century Orthodox Jew, I mean, that was just unheard of. It's unclean. You don't touch pork to begin with, but on top of that, you're actually dirty in with the pigs. And the son is sitting there. It's the worst case scenario. And he's sitting there thinking about his father's house. And he's sitting there and he's wondering and he's realizing, I'm completely disconnected from my father. I'm completely disconnected from my father's house. In fact, the word that Jesus uses is lost. He's lost. And he's missing home. And he's sitting there with the pigs. And he's wondering if home is missing him. 
He's wondering what they're thinking about him. And, and he's got a story that he's telling himself. That clearly his father would never take him back. That clearly he has burned that bridge. That there's no way that he can ever restore relationship. And so he comes up with this plan. I'm going to go home and, I'm, and I've got a speech prepared. And he's rehearsing his speech. And his speech is, God, if, you know, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And this is the story that he tells himself about himself. I'm no longer worthy to be a son. I've burned that bridge. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go home and I'm just going to see if he'll take me back as a servant. And he starts off towards home. And he's got his speech prepared. And he's got a story that he tells himself about himself. And in Jesus' audience, listening to this story, sits people like you and me. In Jesus' audience, listening to this story, are people who are going, well, I'm far from God. I feel disconnected from God, but I don't know if God misses me. I, I know that I'm disconnected from God and I'm missing God, but I don't know if God's really missing me. And if, you've asked, if you would have asked the religious leaders, they would have said, nah, God's not missing them, they're sinners. They're tax collectors, they're notorious sinners, they are unclean, they're unrighteous, they're ungodly. God's not missing them. And if you would have asked the quote-unquote sinners in Jesus' audience, they probably would have said the same thing. Yeah, I don't think that God is missing me. Because all of us have a story that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Think about the stories that you tell yourself about yourself. And this is why grace is so incredibly important. Because when you look at your life, and when you look at your past, and when you look at the times where you felt disconnected from God, you had a story that you told yourself about yourself. God's grace rewrites the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. This is why grace is so important. The son takes a chance, and he goes home. And what happens next blows the minds of all of Jesus' listeners, and it blows all of their categories, and it blows all of their labels to pieces because the people sitting in Jesus' audience didn't share his view of labels, and they didn't share his view of grace. And the story continues. While he's a long way off, Jesus says, the father saw him, and his heart was filled with what? And whatever you put right there says a lot about how we view people. It says a lot about our priorities. And the Pharisees would have filled that in with, the Father's heart was filled with disgust. The Father's heart was filled with embarrassment. The Father's heart was filled with anger. And Jesus says, the Father sees him coming a long way off and is filled with compassion. He's filled with compassion. And the Pharisees are thinking, compassion? Are you kidding? Do you not remember what he's done? No father in that situation would be filled with compassion. You're absolutely right. If you used the wrong labels. But grace rewrites the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. And God's grace can rewrite the story that you tell yourself about yourself. God's grace was about to rewrite the story that this son had told himself about himself. Because what he told himself is, I'm no longer worthy. At the very least, maybe I could become a servant. Maybe I could just get back onto the grounds somewhere and sleep in the servants' quarters. And at least I'm not laying with the pigs. 
But here's how his father responds. His father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. See, for the father, it wasn't enough just to have him back on the property. He wanted him to be back in his arms. He wanted him to be back as part of the family. He puts the ring on his finger that symbolizes, this is my son with the family crest. And he says, he's home. And when Jesus' audience heard this, they gasped because they don't understand Jesus' labels. In their minds, it's dirty or clean. It's righteous or unrighteous. It's godly or ungodly, right? Respectful or disrespectful. And in their minds, the son has failed on all accounts. And Jesus didn't see people the way they saw people. And Jesus doesn't see people the way that we often see people. And Jesus doesn't see us the way that we often see ourselves. Because grace always rewrites the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. That's why grace matters. Jesus uses these labels to describe the son. He says he was dead, and now he's alive. These are the only labels. He says he was lost, and now he's found. And when Jesus uses the word dead and alive, he isn't talking about his physical condition. He's talking about relationship. When Jesus says he was lost, but now he's found, he isn't talking about a GPS coordinate. He's talking about relationship. He's saying he was disconnected relationally, but now he is back as a part of the family. The son was disconnected from the father, and the father had longed and desired for a relationship with the son, and now it's happening, and the father is overjoyed. And here's what I can tell you. There are a lot of labels that describe you. There are a lot of labels that describe me. There are a lot of stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. This is how God sees everybody in your neighborhood. This is how the God of the universe views you. This is how the God of the universe views me and everybody in your neighborhood and everybody in your workplace and everybody in your mom's club and everybody in your algebra class, everybody in your yoga class, everybody on your basketball team, everybody in the parking lot, everybody on the highway, every single person you're ever eyeball to eyeball with. Jesus would say, there are a lot of things that I could use to describe these people. There are a lot of labels I could use, but let me tell you how I see the world. There are people who are connected. There are people who are disconnected. There are people who are dead and there are people who are alive. There are people who are lost and there are people who are found. There are people who are disconnected and there are people who are connected. And my primary concern, Jesus says, is not people who are already connected. My primary concern, the thing that brought me to earth, was to help those who are far from God, those who are disconnected from God, to become reconnected with their heavenly Father. Do you know why Jesus spent so much time with people who were disconnected from God? It's because they were disconnected from God. Do you know why Jesus spent so much time with people who were far from God? It's because they were far from God. And that's what makes his heart beat fast, is people who are lost that are becoming found. Now, here's what's fascinating about this story. Meanwhile, this is where the music changes in the movie, right? This is where the scene changes. Uh, it says, Jesus says, meanwhile, you know, back, back at the ranch... The older brother comes back from working in the fields and he hears a party going on. And he's like, what's going on? Oh, your, your brother's home and your father has killed the fattened calf and he's having a party and he's celebrating. And he, he's upset. 
He's upset because he goes, well, I've never even gotten, I've been here the whole time. I've been respectful to my dad the whole time. I never left. In fact, as the older brother, he would have gotten a larger share of the inheritance. And when dad just gives him a share of the inheritance, it really cut into my, my inheritance as well. He has every right to be upset. He's thinking to himself, uh, you know, I've been here the whole time and dad's never even given me a goat to go and have a party with my friends to reward me for all the good things I've done. And again, this is the story that he is telling himself about himself. And God, and the grace of God, rewrites that story as well. And he complains to his dad. And he says, how come you've never even, this, this son of yours, you know what he's done. He doesn't even say my brother. He says, this son of yours, you know exactly what he's done. And you've never even given me a goat to celebrate with my friends. To just have a little party, have a little, a little shindig out in the woods. And his dad's response is this. Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. Grace rewrites the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. The older brother was telling himself a story of entitlement, that somehow he had earned his share of the inheritance because he had behaved in all the right ways. Somehow he had been respectful enough, somehow he had been obedient enough, somehow he had worked hard enough that, that his father's love was something that he could somehow earn. And now grace comes into the older brother's life and grace starts to rewrite the story that the older brother is telling himself about himself. Son, you've always been here. Everything I have belongs to you. You've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. And he feels that somehow he's gotten slighted because of his brother. And it's the narrative that the older brother has been telling himself. And God's grace rewrites that story as well. See, you've always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. And when you're already connected to your heavenly father and you understand that everything that he has is yours, it frees you to celebrate when the lost are found. And unfortunately, what happens sometimes in churches, and I never, ever want this to happen to us, and it's why we've got to have talks like this and conversations like this and keep this in the forefront of our mind, because sometimes what happens in churches is churches, never on purpose, unintentionally become filled with the older brother, with people who go, oh, I, I, I know where to go, and I know where to sit, and I know the words, and I can sing the songs, and... Over time, if we're not careful, we develop this sense of entitlement. Hey, I behave the right ways, and I believe the right things, and I know the right things, and what are these people doing here coming in and messing up my church? And, and God's grace wants to rewrite that story and say, no, 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 no. Everything I have is yours. You've been here with me. Jesus says, you belong to me. Everything I have is yours. And when you realize that, it frees you to celebrate when the lost are found. It frees you to jump into the party. It frees you to join the search party. Because that's what we've been invited to do. We've been invited to join the search party. When we got news about Chloe on Saturday, I had already intended on speaking on this story. But man, it takes on a whole new meaning for me. When we got that call, um, we just took off and started driving. And I can tell you that for five days, we spent a lot less time with our other three kids. We gave them a lot less attention. We gave them a lot less focus, a lot less energy. Not any less love. 
And this is, this is what the situation demands because when you're in the situation that we were in this last weekend, it demands all of your attention, all of your focus, all of your energy. And then we're so grateful that when we got home, I mean, flowers and cards and teddy bears and blankets and, you know, all of these things in our living room looks like a garden and it's incredible. And our other kids, I'm so grateful that they're not going, oh, how, how come she got flowers? I didn't get any flowers. How come she got a gift card to Starbucks? I didn't get a gift card to Starbucks. Because here's what they... Here's what you know sort of intuitively is that we're just grateful that she's here. She was lost and now she's found. We didn't know if she was going to make it, but she's alive. And we're celebrating that, right? And so suddenly it frees you. And you, to the other kids, you go, you're always with us. You weren't in any danger. You're always here. Everything we have is yours. But this one was lost and now she's found. And I sometimes... As I was thinking about this, this week, it just hit different. <laughs> and I thought, I wonder if that's how God feels. When somebody who is lost, somebody who's disconnected, wanders into church with a speech in their pocket, because they don't know, how, and they've got an addiction, they're broken, and they, and they show up at a church and they don't know how people are going to receive them. And they're going, okay, I got this speech prepared. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Just let me on the property. I just need a little hope. I just need a little answers. And I wonder what would happen if they were met by the older brother with a sense of entitlement. I think that would break God's heart. And I want to make sure that when people walk through our doors, that when people encounter us outside of this place, that they're met with the heart of the Father that just says, I'm filled with compassion for you. We must never forget that God's heart beats fast for those who are lost, not as a GPS coordinate, but for those who are disconnected relationally. In fact, these are the words of Jesus. The Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. When people are not connected to God's family, his heart beats fast for them. We want to be a church that helps lost people become found people. We want to be a church that helps disconnected people become connected people. And if you've already experienced the immeasurable, unimaginable, unending grace of Jesus in your life, if the story that you have told yourself about yourself has already been rewritten and now you see yourself the way that God sees you, then I'm begging you to join the search party and help us find other people who are disconnected from God. We made a fundamental decision the first day that we started Westbridge Church that we were going to be just as focused on lost people as we are on found people. That's why from day one, when people come to us and they're like, I've got a complaint about this. I wish we did this at the church. I wish we did that. I just go, yeah, I know, but we're just trying to find lost people. So please jump onto the search party. We'll, we'll fix some of that stuff along the way. But anytime that you have grace at the forefront and at the center, it gets messy. It gets messy because we're people and we're messy and we're messed up. And our mission is not to protect the safety and the comfort of the insiders. 
Because if you call this church your home and if you've experienced God's grace in your life, then you're already connected. That story has already been rewritten. We love you. There's a place for you here in God's family. But I am begging you to get busy finding people who are lost. Because found, found people help find people. Here's the way that the Apostle Paul writes it. He's writing a letter later on, and he says this. All of this is a gift from God. All of this that we're talking about, God's grace, it is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. We've been reconciled. Our story has been rewritten. So now we've got the task of helping other people see themselves the way that God sees them. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I want to be a place where people feel safe, where people feel that they can walk through these doors regardless of what's going on in their day, in their past, regardless of where they're coming from or where they're going, and they go, this place is filled with grace. That's what we do. And Paul is invoking the imagery of Jesus' story of this disconnected son. And all over our community, there are people who are disconnected from God. There are people who are wondering what God thinks of them. Wondering, is God missing me because I feel disconnected from him? And I want to be a church that doesn't become so content with who's here that we stop pleading with people to come back to God. Let's be Christ's ambassadors. Let's prioritize what Jesus did. Let's do everything we can to create environments that disconnected people can reconnect with God or maybe even connect with God for the very first time. That's what we want to do. This has to be at the center of everything that we do. And you're like, well, we've heard this before. I know. We've got to constantly remind ourselves so that we don't drift. We've got to constantly remind ourselves, grace, 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 grace. Now, really practically speaking, and we'll close here in just a minute. Let me give you really quickly three things that we can do that are practical things that you can put into practice. This is what it looks like to share the grace of Jesus. Number one, we share Jesus when we share our lives. Just by sharing our lives, when we leave this place, with the way that we interact with our neighbors, with the way that we interact with our friends, with the way that we interact with other drivers, traffic, the way that we interact with, you know, the person who's operating the guacamole gun at Taco Bell. I mean, every person matters to God. And the way we interact with them is how we display God's grace with our lives. So what is your life message? When people look at your life, what will they say it's about? I love these verses that Paul writes to people in Thessalonica. He says, the news of your faith in God is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You're the message. The news is out. The, the, the cat's out of the bag. The message is out there. People have heard of your faith. Your life is the message. What does it mean to make your life the message? Does it mean that you wear a WWJD bracelet and every time you go out to eat, you're like, what would Jesus order? <laughs> Does it mean I buy Christian t-shirts, right? And just, I wear Christian t-shirts around and then one day people will just walk up to me and they're like, I noticed you're wearing a Christian t-shirt. Tell me more about God. Uh, do, what does it mean to share with your life? Is it about a bunch of external things? Do I need a bumper sticker that says Jesus is my co-pilot? Or like in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned? Do I need one of those bumper stickers, right? Or maybe I need a Jesus fish? Well, probably one of my favorite all time is like, there's like a Jesus fish, and then somebody created the Darwin fish. It's like a fish with legs, and it's like crawling. It's like, you created the Jesus fish in your car? Well, I'm going to make a Darwin fish. And then somebody created a, a Jesus fish eating a Darwin fish. And I'm like, oh, I think the message got skewed somewhere. 
along the way, right? God wants to eat your fish. I don't think that's the message. So what is it? I think it's critical that we make this connection with what God is saying in this verse, that we are Christ's ambassadors. In other words, we are a reflection of who Christ is to the rest of the world. Jesus said this, you are the light of the world. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Notice he does not say, you are the light of the world. Now raise up a militia of salesmen who can go out and hawk Jesus and close the sale. He says, you're going to be proof of God in a world where God seems invisible and God seems absent because your life will reflect God's presence and God's love and God's grace. And you will be a part of helping people rewrite the stories that they tell themselves about themselves because of your presence in the world. Because you are grace personified when you live out the way of Jesus. You do this on a daily basis by the way that you live your life. One of the most practical ways that you can share Jesus with your life is when you walk through these doors each weekend and you serve and you give and you love and you smile and you pray and you hug and you grieve with those who grieve and you celebrate with those who celebrate and you just be the grace of Jesus with others. So we share Jesus when we share our life. Secondly, we share Jesus when we share our story. And we want to be really good this year at sharing more stories. And there's a story of, uh, uh, in John chapter 9 of a man who is blind and Jesus heals him. And he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't even know who he is, who, who Jesus was, the guy who healed him. He just goes and he presents himself at the temple, and they say, who healed you? And, and what happened? And were you really blind? And they have all these questions. And here's what he says in verse 25. <laughs> he just says, I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. I don't know who the guy was who healed me. I know you've got tons of questions. I don't know tons of the backstory here. here but here's what I know. This is the thing I do know. I was blind, and now I can see. Some of us are afraid to live a life of faith or share our faith with others because we're like, well, what if they ask me all kinds of questions that I can't answer? You know, what if they ask me about contradictions in the Bible and dinosaurs and how many angels can you fit into a world with a VW bug, you know? Questions that I'll never be able to answer. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to have all the answers. What you can know is your story. Your story. Here's what my life was like, and then I met Jesus, and here's how his grace rewrote my story. And when you share your story, it makes a difference in other people's lives. And so I'm going to ask you this year, we're going to collect as many stories as we can. Would you share your story with us? When the time comes and we put it out there and we say, hey, would you share your story? Would you take a minute and share your story and let us share your story? And when you are having conversations with your neighbor, when you're having conversations with your coworker, and God gives you that opportunity to share your story. And you don't have to say, you know, let me go into the, you know, 16 doctrinal truths and walk them through something. You just go, here's what I know. I was blind, but now I can see. Here's all I know. I was broken, and I met Jesus, and he healed me. All I know is I was mourning. I was in pain. There was loss. And then something happened, and, and I have peace. I met Jesus. Would you be willing to share your story? Because we share Jesus when we share our lives. We share Jesus when we share our story. And thirdly, we share Jesus when we share an invitation. Would you consider inviting someone this year? Gallup did a survey, found that 65 million Americans don't go to church, and 34 million of them said they would if somebody invited them. Sometimes it's just the power of a simple invitation. And aren't you glad that somewhere along the way someone invited you? Would you be willing to invite someone else? 
This shouldn't be a surprise because this is how it happened in the Bible. In John chapter 1, it says the first thing Andrew did, he had, he had just met Jesus, and the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, and then Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. The, the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these accounts, these eyewitness accounts are full of stories of people going, hey, you've got to come and see what I've seen. Hey, you've got to come and experience what I've experienced. Come and see, come and see, come and see. We want to be a church that makes it really easy for you to say to your friends and your neighbors and your family members and your coworkers, man, I don't know, this is my story. Why don't you come and see? And we can help people when we share our story, when we share our lives, and when we share an invitation. What if every single one of us this year determined, I'm going to share an invitation at some point this year. In a few weeks, right after Labor Day, the weekend after Labor Day, we're going to start a brand new series on relationships called This Beautiful Mess. And we're going to do a series about how do we interact with one another because the world has gone crazy in the last 18 months and we still have to live with each other and love each other. And so what does that look like and how do we do that and how do we live? And man, what an easy invite. Would you consider inviting someone to that series? See, God's grace rewrites the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and we have freely received God's grace So let's freely give God's grace. And if you're here and you're watching online or you're here this morning and you're like, man, I've never, that's me. I'm the the person in Jesus' audience who's wondering, I'm disconnected from God, but I'm wondering if God is missing me. God loves you. God created you. The message of the scriptures is that God is building a family and he wants you in it. And if you have never said yes to that invitation, you do not earn your way in. It is because God created you and he loves you and he has invited you to be a part of his family. Not just to be on the property, not to live in the servants' quarters, but to be in his family, in his arms. And if you've never said yes to that, I want to give you the opportunity. You can just agree with this simple prayer. God, please forgive my sins and forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you and I've been disconnected from you and I've been broken. But God, I thank you that you never walk away from me. In fact, When you see me coming back towards you, your heart is filled with compassion. And that moves me. And your grace, when I recognize who you are and the way that you see me, it helps me to rewrite the stories that I tell myself about myself. And so I want to say yes to the invitation to be a part of your family and make me your son, make me your daughter. And I got a lot of stuff that I'm working through, but if the the whole point of this is that you're inviting me into your family. I want that. I want to say yes to that. And help me to follow you. Help me to put my trust in you as I continue to move forward. In Jesus' name. And God, I pray for every single one of us. May we never tell ourselves a story of entitlement. May we never tell ourselves a story that we've somehow earned your grace because of our behavior or our beliefs. May we recognize we belong to you. Everything that you have, you share with us. And may we be a search party. May we be a church, a group of people who are committed to helping the lost become found. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.